Hey, good morning. My name is Matt Howe, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. Um, excited to be back on the platform. It's been uh, three weeks uh, since I was last with you and had a couple of weeks of reprieve, although I will say the last two Sundays have not turned out exactly as I was expecting. Um, both Sundays I have battled two different viruses. Um, I know, a lot of fun, right? So uh, yeah, two weeks ago, it was kind of the weekend or the week after Disciple Now, and I think I had just allowed my body to get run down and uh, one of our kids had, had come up with something, and then, of course, that means doom is on the doorstep. And, uh, and so I ended up coming down with it and was out for, gosh, about five or six days, I think, with that one. Just knocked out. It wasn't the flu, but it was something pretty terrible. And then uh, was feeling better towards the end of last week. Actually got away with my wife uh, last Friday night, and then uh, Saturday night it hit me again. And so I came at 9.30 uh, last week to do the youth group stuff, and um, man, like I got up to teach and I was like, I am going to pass out. And so as soon as it was over, I just beat it out of there, got in my truck, went home, and was basically just in the bed, just feeling miserable the rest of the day, Sunday. So um, it was great to be off. And uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that's what I get. I don't know. It's like God's like, Jonah's running, right? So maybe I was running from the pulpit and God was chasing me. I don't, I don't know. Some, something like that. Anyway. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, we're going to continue on in the story uh, this morning, kind of picking up where Pastor Mark left off. So this is Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 17, okay? So follow along. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and so they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. Have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea did grow calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And verse 17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And we're going to get to that, okay? That's, that's more like next week, all right? So last Sunday, for those of you who were here, um, Pastor Mark told the story of how Jonah 
was called by God to deliver God's message to the people of Nineveh. And he talked about how Jonah, rather than responding with obedience, disobeyed the Lord's call and fled on a ship to or toward Tarshish. He never, in fact, made it there. But you see, here's here's the deal. When Jonah made that decision to flee from God's call, God didn't just move on to whomever was next. God didn't simply choose someone else. Oh, no. Jonah wasn't going to get off that easy. And I kind of have to wonder if, if Jonah maybe thought that he would. Well, maybe it's just as simple as kind of just sneaking away, disappearing on a ship to a foreign land, and maybe God will just let me go and leave me alone. Maybe God will call someone else to the task. Whatever the case, God didn't. He didn't leave Jonah alone. He pursued Jonah. And instead of just giving up on him or passing over him, God sent, I think what we could call the perfect storm. So I want to know from you this morning, what is the worst storm that you have ever experienced? How many of you have actually been in a tornado before? We had some terrible tornadoes. Raise those hands. I want to see them. I want to get like percentages here. So probably about 10% of the room maybe has been in an actual tornado. Now, I want to know, was that tornado here or was that like maybe out in the Midwest or down south somewhere? We got, we got at least a couple that said here. Okay. All right. So I know in 2012, our family was getting ready to relocate here. Um, my job was to start April 1st here. By the way, I'm coming up on seven years. It's pretty exciting. Um, but it's getting ready to start April 1st. And in March, like March 2nd or something, March 2nd or 3rd, there was like some tornadoes that went just south of here. In fact, one hit like a mile from my parents' house, which was kind of wild. Um, that's the last time I can remember. Well, and then I guess there was a kind of a tornado over... Uh, like over towards uh, Salem, right? Just a couple of, yeah, you guys, yeah, you had some roof damage, right? Congratulations. All right, yeah. So, you, so you've been in a storm. Maybe some of you, how many, anybody in a hurricane? Anybody been in a hurricane? Okay, all right, that's wild, right? Maybe some of you, the worst storm you can remember was like a blizzard. Anybody from the Northeast, like ever lived through one of those like four or five feet of snow? I just can't even imagine. God bless you, right? So we go through these storms, but there's other kinds of storms as well. These storms might be familial, right? Like we have storms that just absolutely hit our families sometimes due to illness, due to conflict, who knows? Financial. Some of us have found ourselves in financial storms. Looking back to, um, you know, just 2008, I guess, 2009, some of us experienced some, some pretty big financial woes. Mental, emotional storms. Some of these storms are silent, but no less serious. We've all experienced those perfect storms where it seems like people and events and time and place all kind of converge at this perfect time to absolutely wreak havoc in our lives. A dear pastor friend of mine who is now deceased um, used to say to me, he would say, all of humanity was in one of three different places in their life. They were either heading into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or just coming out of a storm. 
That's kind of how life feels sometimes, isn't it? Like we're just always there. Storms are always kind of brewing around us. We can, we can sort of see the storms forming off in the horizon. Well, in the book of Jonah, we see another kind of storm. This is a sacred storm, you might say. Why sacred? Because behind this storm stands our God. This storm is not merely a storm resulting from the forces of nature. This storm is directly from him. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind. Verse 11 reads this way, The wind of the sea is growing. In verse 12, Jonah says, it is because of me that this great wind has come upon you. And in verse 13, the scriptures say that the wind grew more and more and more against them. Clearly, this great wind was from Almighty God. Clearly, God had employed this storm, this wind, in order to bring order to the otherwise chaotic situation that Jonah was in. There's a children's book out there, I've never read it, but I've heard of it, called If I Were in Charge of the World. Hmm. I'm not sure I'd want to be. But the book, there's a, a few lines in the book that read like this. If I were in charge of the world, I'd cancel oatmeal. <laughs> Monday mornings and allergy shots. There would be brighter night lights healthier hamsters, and basketball hoops three feet lower. I kind of like that. I could never jump. If I were in charge of the world, you wouldn't have lonely. You wouldn't have clean. You wouldn't have bedtimes or don't push your sister. In fact, you wouldn't even have sisters. If I were in charge of the world, a chocolate sundae with whipped cream and nuts would be a vegetable. All 007 movies would be rated G. And a person who sometimes forgot to brush and sometimes forgot to flush would still be allowed to be in charge of the world. (laughs) Have you ever wondered what the world might look like if you were in charge? Scary thought. What changes would you make? I kind of agree with the Monday thing. I'd probably start by just giving everyone Mondays off. So you know what? Let's just declare it. Can we declare it today? I mean, this is a strong number. I I feel like if we just all decided to not show up tomorrow, word might get out, you know? Jonah's version of this, if I were in charge of the world, might sound a little something like this. If I were in charge of the world, God would let me live my life on my own terms and not his. He would let me go and do as I please. He certainly would not send me to a bunch of heathens like the people of Nineveh. If I were in charge, God would leave me alone and let me run off and play in Tarshish. And by the way, why Tarshish? Well, what do we know about this city at the time in which the story was taking place? We know that there was a lot of money exchanging hands. We know that silver and lead and copper and gold and iron and tin and all these different types of metal were being refined there. We know that Tarshish was a kind of ancient Shangri-La, you might say, where people went to have a good time and strike it rich. And Jonah must have decided, I can't imagine why, that this city sounded like a better place than Nineveh. Kind of be like, you can take your spring break in Fargo 
or in like San Diego? Which one are you going to choose, right? Sorry if any of you are from Fargo. <laughs> Do you have a Tarshish? Do you have a place that you know is the exact opposite of the place where God wants you to go? but you're constantly trying to sneak away there? I mean, we all do. We all have that place. Life gets tough. Life gets hard. Things get difficult. Difficult uh, situations and decisions come our way. And when they do, our natural response is to want to escape, to want to just run away, to duck our head and just go. Maybe for you, Tarshish is not an actual geographical location, but maybe it's your work. Maybe when things get hard, you just run to your work. Maybe it's sports or hobbies, things that on the surface look like good, normal, everyday things. But we're using them as an escape route. Maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's social media. I mean, I don't know. The list could just go on and on and on of things that we use to escape what we know God is really calling us to do. Here's what we need to understand. The God who can calm the troubled waters of our lives, and he does, he absolutely does. That's the same God who can stir them up into a great frenzy. And when we persist in going to Tarshish, when we persist in running away from Almighty God, God may just send one of those sacred storms in order to get our attention. By interrupting our plans, God may just be saving us from something truly awful. Sometimes we think, oh, I can't believe that my plans have been disrupted. I can't believe that I have to go do this thing. And then we end up finding out that that was the very best thing for us. God may be saving us from ourselves. And by the way, I need a lot of saving from myself. I don't know about you all, but that's where I'm at. God may be saving us from others. God may be saving us from separation from him. If you go here and you do this thing and you persist in that behavior, I want you to know that that is going to cause serious degrees of separation between me and you. And so I'm going to send this storm into your life. It's going to rattle you and it's going to shake you up a little bit, but it's also going to give you an opportunity to draw back into close relationship with me. That, those things have happened. By interrupting Jonah's plans to flee, God was saving him. Like Jonah who slept during the storm in the innermost recesses of the ship, we sometimes need to be awakened from our spiritual slumber. And we need to remember that running is useless. All running does is prolong what is inevitably going to happen anyway. God's will will be accomplished. All running does is it causes us and those around us a great deal of pain. Running away, hiding, pretending that everything is just okay or that everything is pointless. That's what's pointless. We cannot escape God's notice. We cannot go where God is not. He's everywhere. That's who God is. God is relentless in his pursuit of us. He never stops looking. He never stops searching. 
When the storm hit, the crew of the ship knew it wasn't just an ordinary storm. The strength and suddenness of it was something that they had never quite experienced before. I mean, these are experienced seamen. These are men who have been on the sea their entire life. And yet, when this storm strikes, it's like, holy cow, something is different about this. They knew that something or someone had caused this particular storm to happen. And Jonah knew it too. When they discovered that it was indeed Jonah who was responsible and asked him who he was, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That is chapter 1, verse 9 of the book of Jonah. And what it is really is Jonah's confession. What Jonah is really saying here is number one, there is a God, and number two, I am not him. It was in that moment that he assumed God was punishing him for his disobedience. He finally took responsibility. He offered his life in order to save others. But here's the deal. God, even in his relentless pursuit of us, remains merciful. And so God saw Jonah's repentant heart, and he provided an extraordinary rescue. And we're going to get to that more. But here's the deal, church. In this particular passage of Scripture, in this particular story, I think there are three things that we can pull out. Here's one. Because God is in control, my running is useless. Because God is in control, my running is useless. Some things in life are useless. You could probably think of a couple while you're sitting right there. Things that you find useless. For instance, trying to start a serious conversation with your wife before your kids are in bed. <laughs> useless. <laughs> Thinking that you're going to save money on your daughter's wedding. <laughs> useless. Washing your car in the month of April when you live in Ohio. <laughs> useless. Some might say rooting for the Bengals <laughs> or the Reds or the Browns. I know you have hope now. Another thing that is useless is desperately and deliberately running from God. But we still do it. All the time we do it. We run from him. Clearly, it was God's plan A to use Jonah. And in this situation, God didn't have a plan B. And at times, we are God's plan A. And there is no plan B. If I'm being honest, sometimes it excites me to think that I might be God's plan A. And at other times, it terrifies me to think that I might be God's plan A. But either way, this is what I know. Running is useless. Hiding away and pretending that everything is okay, pointless. We cannot escape God's notice. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden when they realized, ha, you're naked. I'm naked, right? What did they do? They went and they hid from God. And God's like the ultimate bummer at hide-and-go-seek. Count to 10. Okay. Eight, nine, 10. You're behind the bush. <laughs> Again, that God with this hide and seek stuff. That's crazy. I mean, the tagline should read God, 
finding people since the beginning of time. Okay? We cannot go where he is not. In fact, we hear about this in Psalm 139. I just want to share a little bit. I'm just going to kind of skip around. The psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately, intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it but that's how you understand me. You see, that's how God knows us, right? God is omnipotent. There is nothing he cannot do. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. That's who God is. And my running is useless. The second truth we pull from this story is because God is in control, my storms have a purpose. We don't believe that every storm that happens to us is a direct result of God. Some storms happen simply because of the fallen world that we live in. Some storms happen as a direct result of our disobedience or of another person's disobedience. But scripture does teach that God can make the most of any and all of our storms. He can. And there's a, there's a promise in that that I love. Storms have a purpose. They are not fun. They are not enjoyable. They can bring headaches as well as heartaches. But they are at times necessary. Just last night, my wife and I were talking after the kids were in bed because <laughs> it was serious. And we were sharing some of our struggles with one another. And I told her that it is only in the fire that we are refined. And to be honest with you, I don't love that. I mean, who wants to go jump in a fire? <laughs> Please, me, let me come out burning in flames. But, but that's the truth. Like, God wants to refine us. He's constantly refining us. By the way, that is a life, it is a lifelong process. You might be sitting here today thinking, oh, I'm refined. Well, you're not as refined as you think you are, right? God is still at work. God wants us to look a certain way. God wants to sharpen us. But we can only be refined when we are in the fire. Our storms have a purpose. The third truth that we can pull from this story is because God is in control, my future is secure. Jonah says later in his book, in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from evil. Here's the deal, church. If God is love, and the Bible says in 1 John that he is, then Christ, who is also God, is love in the flesh. In just over a month, we will celebrate Easter, and we're going to play that song right before I preach. And if we don't, you're going to yell at Eric when the service is over. God's steadfast love is demonstrated climactically when he orchestrates his own storm at the cross. Think about the event of the cross. There was no greater storm. 
But out of that storm, there came no greater victory. And some of us need to claim that victory. It's like we've gotten that postcard in the mail that says you have a package at the post office. And so we go and we wait in the three-hour line. It was a joke, three-hour line, post office, never mind. Apparently you haven't been there. I know, Amazon delivers everything. But man, like we go and we wait. Why? So that we can place that claim ticket down and take what is rightfully ours. And some of us need to today lay down our lives in order to take what is ours, which is victory in Jesus Christ. And yes, that's a message that we preach on Easter, but it should be a message that we live every single day of our lives. Because in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39, the apostle Paul writes this. In Romans, the book of faith, he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, it is time to stop running. Our running is useless. Those storms, they have a purpose. God's love is steadfast. And our future in Christ is secure. We need only to repent. Yeah, you can clap for that. Oh, my future is secure. Yeah, okay. All right. Woo, right? We need only to repent, to reaffirm our faith, and then what? Allow God to use us. And see, there's where Jonah was. He needed to repent. He needed to reaffirm his faith, and he needed to allow God to use him for God's purpose. Church, we're going to spend some time this morning, and throughout Lent, we're going to spend some time at the end of every service just giving you an opportunity to sort of quiet yourself before the Lord. We don't do that very well in our culture. Even in the church, we've kind of lost the art. We're going to give you some time just to quiet yourself where you're at. You don't have to get up. You don't have to move. You don't even have to stand up. You can just be right where you are. We're going to have some music playing. And we just want to give you some time to quiet yourself before the Lord and just talk to him. Maybe you're running from something this morning. You know, maybe you've been running from something for years. And maybe this morning you need to say, God, you know what? I'm ready to stop running. I'm ready to turn to you, to turn away from my, my sin, to repent, to turn to you. Maybe there's a storm in your life and you've been really questioning what the purpose of that storm might be. Maybe this morning you just need to lay yourself bare before God and say, God, if I'm being honest, I have no idea. I have no idea what this storm is all about, what the purpose of this is. Help me to see purpose in this. Help me to see you through this storm. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with whether or not your future is secure. 
whether or not his love is really steadfast, whether or not his love could possibly apply to you. And I would tell you that today, all you need to do is open up your arms and just receive that love. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his grace. Receive his mercy. So I'm going to get us started. I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to kind of continue in a spirit of prayer for, for a couple of minutes, okay? God, we thank you. God, we thank you that, um, that you call us, that you call us out, that you call us to be separate, and that, God, you give us holy instruction. You tell us when to move and when to lie down, when to speak up and when to be silent. But, God, sometimes when you call us, we don't answer. Sometimes when you give us instruction, we disobey. Sometimes when you tell us to go here, we choose to go there instead. And so God, this morning for anyone who sits in this room who's been running, running from you, running from your way, running from your truth, God, I pray that today you would stop them in their tracks, that they would turn, that they would see you face to face. God, for anyone here this morning who is in the middle of a storm, who's struggling, God, it could be a self-inflicted storm. It could be a storm that happened just as a result of the world that we live in, this broken, fallen world. God, it could be a storm that is really of you and from you. Father, whatever the case, I pray that today you would give us an understanding, that you would show us purpose in our storms. God, for anyone here this morning is struggling with the concept that your love is steadfast, that your love is unconditional, that your love is universal, God, I pray that, Lord, we would just receive it this morning, that we would just feel it, that it would overwhelm our hearts and our heads today. God, may we answer your call. May we claim the victory that we have in Christ Jesus this morning. Bless us as we continue in a spirit of prayer.